are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. Uh, And we're going to start kind of our journey towards the cross uh, this morning, really uh, towards the tomb because the tomb is empty. Uh, And so over the next several weeks, we are going to uh, just work through the book of Luke. We're going to take a few stops along the way uh, as we make our way towards Easter Sunday. And so this morning uh, here in Luke chapter 5, we're going to look at um, a miracle uh, from early on in Jesus's ministry. Uh, Now, uh, we can all use a little good news in our lives, I would imagine. Um, I've yet to meet the person who tells me, you know what, Uh, I've had enough good news today. Right? I've yet to meet the person that says, if someone else says one more good thing to me, I'm just going to let them have it. Right? <laughs> we can all use a little good news. And the truth is, is that today, uh, it doesn't take much looking around. It doesn't take much uh, watching the news or whatever it might be to get frustrated. And so good news is always appreciated. And so I'm going to give you some good news this morning. Uh, I am going to give you some good news this morning uh, that can change everything for you. And here is the good news. Jesus is stronger than you are. Uh, Jesus is better than us. He's wiser than us. Uh, He is able when we are not. He is strong when we are weak. And so as we look at Luke 5, we are going to see a picture of Jesus' strength. We're going to see a picture of Jesus' authority. And so as we look at this passage, we see this truth, that Jesus' authority is good news for us. Jesus' authority is good news for us. And so look with me at Luke chapter 5. We'll have the verses on the screen. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word here in Luke chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 17. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 17 uh, says this. uh, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins, but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me uh, as we continue in worship? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace uh, and your mercy. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd be with us now. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us clearly through your word and so that we would see how Jesus' authority that you've given to him is good news for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. 
As we look at uh, this scene from the Gospel of Luke, uh, we're going to see kind of three moves through this scene uh, that this story takes. And so the first is this. Uh, We see compassionate concern. Compassionate concern. Really, this entire scene can be summarized as uh, compassion driving action. Uh, These friends, they weren't content uh, to just watch their friend suffer. Uh, they weren't content to just leave him alone. No, they, uh, they saw a man, they saw Jesus who could heal their friend and they said, we've got to get him to Jesus. And so uh, their compassion drove their action because they knew uh, that Jesus's authority meant good news for them. I mean, good news for him and it means good news for us today. Now, this miracle here in Luke chapter 5, this miracle is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of the synoptic gospels. And here in the gospel of Luke, it actually plays a pretty significant part in the way that Luke lays out his gospel. So when we read the gospels, one of the things we want to make sure that we understand is that these stories, the way that the author has has written the book, uh, this isn't just kind of uh, like throwing jello against the wall and seeing what sticks. Right? The, the author wasn't just throwing stories. He, he wasn't just throwing scenes from Jesus's life uh, because he was just trying to compile them all. Uh, no, there's a flow to it. And so here, what happens here in Luke 5 is this is going to start one of five confrontations with the Pharisees. And each of these confrontations builds expectation and ultimately it culminates in the cross. And so here, this is the first confrontation with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders that we see in the Gospel of Luke in Jesus's ministry. And we find Jesus here in verse 17 teaching on one of those days as he was teaching. And by this point in his ministry, his teaching was beginning to draw a crowd. We know from this passage, we've just read that the crowd was large enough that it had filled up a house so that no one else could get in. And so uh, Jesus, he's drawing this crowd. And at this point, the Pharisees and the the teachers of the law or the scribes, they want to know what is all the fuss about? Why are all of these people wanting to come to Jesus? And now these Pharisees and these scribes, these teachers of the law, they were kind of the theological heavyweights of the day. They were the gatekeepers of God's word. So if you wanted to know what God's word said, if you wanted to know what God's word meant, then you had to go to the Pharisees. You you had to go find out what they said. And so they wanted to go. They wanted to see what is this Jesus teaching? And it's not that they were concerned about his accuracy. These Pharisees, these scribes, they were not concerned that Jesus was teaching the right things. They were concerned about the influence that Jesus had. Because they knew that as Jesus grew in influence, their influence was diminished. And so they wanted to see, they wanted to figure out what is so special about this Jesus. And in the end of verse 17, Luke puts kind of a, it's almost a parenthetical statement. He says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So people had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now, when he says that, he's not saying that as if, hey, in this moment, at this time, in this circumstance, in this situation, all of a sudden there was something different about Jesus. He had the power to heal. No, Luke was just recognizing what was already true, right? He he was just recognizing what was always true uh, about Jesus. You know, if I I brought my youngest daughter up, uh, her name's Olivia, uh, all of you would instantly notice one thing, everyone notices the same thing about her. Uh, she has red hair. And, and so for you, uh, to, for me to bring her up here and uh, for you to say, hey, she has red hair, 
It's the same thing that Luke is doing here. He's saying Jesus has the power to heal. And not that he suddenly has the power to heal, right? Olivia's hair didn't suddenly turn red. Jesus didn't suddenly get the power to heal. No, Jesus has the power to heal. That's what Luke is recognizing here. And this word power, it's not just the regular word power that we find throughout the New Testament. It actually carries with it this idea of the power that works wonders. And so Jesus has the power that works wonders to heal. And in the middle of his teaching, commotion breaks out. Some some men are bringing a paralyzed friend to meet Jesus because they know they had faith that this Jesus who's teaching, this Jesus who has impacted the lives of so many people already at this point in his ministry, this Jesus, there's something special about him. This Jesus, he can heal. He could do something. And so the crowd is too large to enter the home, but that doesn't stop the friends. Instead, when they're met at the door with a crowd busting at the seams, they go around to the side. Now, you've got to understand houses in Jerusalem at this point, they would have had a stairwell on the outside that you could walk up and you could access the roof. And so that roof really kind of functioned as a deck, right? So maybe you've got a pool or something like that. They, they would spend time on that deck. And so these friends, they take their paralyzed friend up to the top of the roof And they begin to make a hole in the roof. Now, I'm just unspiritual enough to wonder what is the homeowner saying, right? Like you are going to dig a hole. You're going to make a hole in my roof. And you notice it says finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles. Now, the homes of the day, wealthy people would have tiles on their roof. But regular people, they would have something that they called tiles, but really it was a brick of mud that had been baked in the sun and then carried up to the roof and put in. And so it's much more likely that that when Luke's talking about tiles here, he's talking about those big mud tile bricks. And so understand that picture. The, The crowd is busting at the seams. They can't get in. Jesus is teaching and suddenly dirt starts falling from the ceiling. Right? And then slowly, sunlight is starting to break through. And at this point, right, Jesus, he's an experienced communicator. He's trying to keep going, but everyone's looking up. Several years ago, I was speaking in a high school, speaking for an FCA event. And I'm speaking, and I'm looking out, and I'm watching everyone's eyes look up. Even the other, the other pastors and the teachers that were in the room, all of their eyes are looking up. And finally, I said, guys, what's going on? I turned around and there were bats flying around uh, behind me. So Jesus is teaching and everyone's looking up. The, the sand, the dirt, the mud is starting to fall. Sunlight's breaking through and they can probably hear rustling. They can probably hear struggling. And here comes a bed. It's pro- probably like a pallet being lowered down slowly and slowly and slowly until suddenly in the middle of this room lies a paralyzed man. That suddenly in the middle of this room lies a man who, who can't move. See, these men that had, had lowered their friend down, nothing was going to stop them from getting him to Jesus. Oh, the crowd is too big? That's fine. We'll ruin the roof, right? The, the crowd is too big? We'll do whatever we have to do because it is that important for us to get him 
to Jesus. Now understand, they didn't have a perfect understanding of who Jesus was. They didn't have a perfect understanding of what Jesus would do or how he would do it. But here's what they knew. Jesus was able. What they couldn't do, Jesus could. Now, now this is instructive for us. Because we can bring people to Jesus knowing that Jesus always knows what to do. We can bring people to Jesus knowing that Jesus can always handle whatever it may be. Now, in this picture, right, we get a snapshot of Jesus's compassion. He, he doesn't respond in anger. Right? As this man is coming down out of the roof, if that happened to me, I would say, are you kidding me? Right? What are you doing? This couldn't have waited five minutes. This couldn't have waited till we were done. But that's not how Jesus responds. He doesn't respond in anger. He's not frustrated that they've interrupted his teaching. No, look at verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. But Jesus, he hasn't been lowered down so that you could forgive his sins. He's been lowered down because he needs to walk. But what Jesus knows is that it does no good for this man to walk if he marches to hell. And so Jesus reorients the need. Forgiveness first, then we'll get to healing later. And both of these things are are really things that only Jesus has the authority to do. And so he says, look, because of their faith, and not just because of, we could read this and maybe think, so this man is saved because of his friend's faith. Well, that's not what Jesus says. Right? He says because of their faith. Or that's what Luke says, because of their faith. So it's about those men, but also the man on the pallet. Because it takes faith to dig a hole in a roof. But I would argue that it takes greater faith to be lowered down on a rope from the hole. Right? <laughs> this man had faith. This is really a story of compassion. Like we said at the beginning, this is compassion driving action. It's about the friend's compassion, but greater than that, it's about Jesus' compassion. This week, I just did a quick Google search. I just searched compassion. And I was surprised by what I found. And I think this is probably telling about where we are as a society, where we are as a culture. The first page of Google results, they all defined compassion as self-love. The highest form of compassion is loving yourself rather than loving others. That that if you really want to be compassionate, then you've got to take care of yourself. And I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of yourself, right? I'm not saying you shouldn't love yourself, but loving yourself above others is not compassion. It's selfishness. Over and over again, it was compassion is self-love. But what we see here is that the highest form of compassion is getting people to Jesus. You know, we know that we're called to love, right? We know that Jesus has called us to love others. Well, the question becomes, well, what is love? What does it mean to love someone? Well, we see that love displayed. We see a picture of that love here in Luke chapter five. So I think that the Bible gives us a picture of love and another guy defines it this way. And I think it defines or sums up the Bible's picture of love, that that love is always self-sacrifice for the redemptive good of another. 
That's what we're called. When the Bible calls us to love each other and to love others, to, to love your enemies, not, to, not to, to respond to them in anger. Talk about sacrificing for their redemptive good. That's exactly what these men have done. They've sacrificed for the redemptive good of their paralyzed friend. And so we see that, that for this friend, for this paralyzed man and for us, that Jesus' authority is good news. And so we see this compassionate concern. Next we see this, we see conniving questions. Now, it would be an understatement to say that Jesus causes people to ask questions. Right? Not, not everyone who asks a question of Jesus is really even looking for him to answer because, see, some people are asking questions of Jesus not out of genuine curiosity or not because they're open to hear the truth, but some people ask questions because they want to undermine what he's doing rather than hear his answer. And that's what we see here in verse 21. In verse 21, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they begin to question. They're wondering, who is this that's speaking blasphemy? In other words, who is this that is slandering God? Who is this that is saying that, that he has the same authority that God has? Because if he has the same authority that God has, that means that he's God and that's blasphemous. But by claiming to forgive sins, he's, he's taking an authority reserved for God. And according to the religious leaders of the day, that was unacceptable. But it appears that these Pharisees and these scribes, that they, they weren't asking this question out loud. Look at verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they began to question saying, who, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then in verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. He perceived their thoughts. Now, uh, that word, you, that word thoughts, it's used several times in the Gospel of Luke. And it always, always in the Gospel of Luke, it, it's used either explicitly or implicitly as evil thoughts. And so we could read it as that, that Jesus perceives their evil thoughts, their, their thoughts and the intention behind their thoughts. See, the, the scribes were quiet but Jesus had heard everything they were thinking, and he doesn't just hear, he answers. And now, isn't it amazing how the same sentence can have different meanings depending on who says it and how they say it? Let me give you an example. Bless your heart. <laughs> right? That can mean two different things. Right? I, I can say bless your heart, and, and I really mean, you know, bless your heart. But some of you can say, bless your heart, and that's not what you mean, right? <laughs> you mean something else. There's, a, there's another one. How about excuse me? Hey, have you ever in this, uh, I was a terrible child, so it probably, you probably never experienced this, uh, but my parents would say something to me, and I would say something back, and it wasn't an excuse me, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. No, it was my mom or my dad saying, excuse me, right? And, and, and what was terrible, what was terrible, what really, what, what just really hurt is, and I'm convinced like there's something, the Lord does something to moms and dads that like as you walk out of the hospital, you're given some kind of superpower or something where you can get an excuse me without even saying anything, right? Just your eyes, because of the way you dart your eyes, mama says, excuse me, right? Or, or you can say a lot with just using your face and not your mouth, 
Excuse me? It's like your thoughts are being perceived without you having to say anything. See, here Jesus hits the Pharisees and the scribes with an excuse me. But it's not because of what they said, and it's not even because of what their faces did. It's because Jesus had the authority to know what they were thinking. He could hear, he knew what they wanted to say without them having to say it. And so he answers their question. He says, why do you question in your hearts? And then verse 23, he says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? See, it's hard to prove whether someone's sins are forgiven or not, right? You can't tell just by looking at them. But it's easy to see whether or not a man who was paralyzed can now walk. Right? It's easy to see that. And what's interesting, Psalm 103 actually connects the two. Psalm 103 verse 3 says that both forgiving sins and healing the sick, those are both divine acts. That's both what God does. And so we see that, that really it doesn't matter which one is harder because Jesus can do both. And in verse 24, he proves his authority not just by forgiving the man's sins, but also by healing him. Look at verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He proves that he can do it. This was an authority that had never been seen before. The, the miracle of healing was to show that Jesus had the authority and he was able not just to heal for the sake of healing, he was able to heal and his healing was proof that he had the authority to forgive sins. He had the authority to speak, to act in ways that only God can speak and can act. And it's not because he was like God, it's because he is God. There's nothing too hard for Jesus. This man's paralysis didn't intimidate him. This man's past sins didn't frustrate him. In these verses, we see the heart and the power of Jesus. Get this. Jesus's heart is for the broken and the sinful. That's what his heart is for. His heart is for those who need him. I'm reading a book right now uh, that... It's been out for a couple years. It's called Gentle and Lowly. If you haven't read this book, I would encourage you to read it. But early on in this book, the author, he's, he's showing how all through the New Testament, what we see is we see Jesus drawing near, not to the righteous and those who have it figured out, but Jesus drawing near to the sinful and the broken. Jesus drawing near to those who need his grace. Here's the thing. Jesus isn't frustrated by our need for his grace because that's exactly why he came. He came to bring us grace. He came to bring us mercy. He came to bring us what only he could bring. You know, I'm not a firefighter, but I would imagine most firefighters don't show up to a house on fire and say, I can't believe you did this, right? No, they go in and they, they save the ones who are in the building, right? They put the fire out. In the same way, Jesus doesn't show up and doesn't say, I can't believe you did this. No, he shows up and he puts the fire out, right? He, he shows up and he forgives the sins. He heals the broken. Now, maybe you think, but Ethan, I'm too damaged. Well, what we see here is you're not. Maybe you think that, 
A friend or a family member or a coworker is just too broken and just too sinful to bring them to Jesus. They're not. See, these friends knew what Jesus had done for others. He would do for this paralyzed man. And here's the thing. We can bring people to Jesus because we know what he's done for us. We can bring people to Jesus because we know that what he's done for you and for me, he can and he will do for them. Right? Their sin is not greater than my sin. Their sin is not more powerful than your sin. Jesus' grace is sufficient for all of it. Jesus can handle every bit of it. He's not intimidated by the power of anyone's sin because we are great at sinning, but Jesus is better at saving. That's what he does, right? He came to save to the uttermost. Uh, the psalmist says, as far as from the east, from the west, right? That's how far he separates our sins. That's how, how far he forgets our sins. And so we see Jesus's authority. It's good news for us. We we see the compassionate concern of him and the friends and the conniving questions of the Pharisees and the scribes. And finally, we see this, the convincing capability. Now, up to this point in the story, there's been a lot of talk. There's been a lot of talk from, from Jesus. There's been a lot of thoughts from uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus has just said, take up your bed and walk. And here in verses 25 and 26, we, we see what happens. His authority to forgive sins and his authority to heal the sick, they come together. And we, we see how Jesus' authority is good news, not just for that man and not just for those friends, but it's good news for us as well. See, after telling the paralyzed man to get up and go home, something amazing happens. He does it. Right? This man who was paralyzed... This man who, who the only way he could get in wasn't by walking. It, it wasn't even by crawling. The only way this man could get in is if four other friends dug a hole in a roof and let him down into the middle of the building. The, this man who, who he couldn't do anything on his own. Jesus says, get up and walk and go home. And what does he do? He gets up, he walks and he goes home. No, notice how it happens. Look at verse 25. And immediately... He rose up before them. Immediately, there was no waiting to see if the treatments had worked. There was no wondering if Jesus had really done it. He was immediately, instantly, and rapidly healed. Now, it's easy to read stories like this in the gospel and to move past them quickly. It's easy to read stories like this in the gospel and just be familiar with them because we see them over and over and over again and to just keep reading. But if we can read these stories and not be amazed, then we've missed the point. See, no matter how often we read them or study them, they should lead us to amazement. This was the original audience's response. Look at verse 26. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and they were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. It says amazement seized them all. This is this would be like us. It's an idiom. It would be like us saying they were beside themselves. They couldn't handle what they had just seen. They couldn't fathom. They couldn't comprehend that this man who had been let down from the roof, this man just got up and walked out. This man just picked up his pallet, just picked up his mat, just picked up his bed, just picked up whatever it was. He just picked it up and he walked out of here with no help. See, if we can read stories like this, we can read stories like this in the Gospels, in the Bible, and not be amazed by the power of God, then we're not reading them correctly. 
See, these, these stories weren't put here for us to grow used to them. They weren't put here for us to grow cold to them. They were put here for us to be amazed by God's power, for us to be amazed by God's grace, for us to be amazed by what only God can do. Imagine reading a story like this in the newspaper. Everyone would be talking about it. It would be viral. It would be on YouTube. It'd be on Facebook. It'd be everywhere that this had just happened. But too oftentimes we read these stories and we just move from one to the next, to the next, to the next, instead of reading it and being amazed by, wow, look at what my God can do. Look at what Jesus can do. I recently watched a documentary called The Rescue. Now, The Rescue, this is the story of the wild boars soccer team that was trapped in a cave in Thailand in June of 2018. Maybe you remember that story. It was all over the news. And what was so amazing is, is this soccer team, they went into the caves on June 23rd, but they weren't discovered until July 2nd. The divers just kept going further and further in and in the documentary, they give you the impression that they didn't really think there was any hope. They didn't really think that they were going to find this soccer team. And they come up out of the water and there are those boys and there are those coach. And the amazing thing isn't that they were found. The amazing thing is that eight days later, they were all rescued from the cave. And what's amazing about the way they were rescued is that they didn't just strap on some scuba gear and get them out. Now, what they had to do is they had to plan. They had to figure out, how are we going to get these boys out of this cave? And so they brought in some experts and they started calling all around the world. And they decided that really the most realistic way for them to do this is that they were going to have to sedate these boys, put the gear on them, and then swim them out. And as they start calling experts, one of the leading experts in pediatric anesthesia, they call him and he says it's a suicide mission. If you do it, those boys will die. And whoever's trying to get them out, they will die as well. But there was no other option. And so they, they sedate these boys one by one. They cover them in scuba gear. And then they begin the swim. It took two hours to make their way through this cave. And you can't watch that and experience anything but amazement. Right at the end of the documentary, like I'm clapping, I'm cheering, I'm you know, because it's just amazing that this could happen. The rescue was miraculous. The story here in Luke 5 is no less amazing. The story here in Luke 5 is no less miraculous. In fact, it's even more. A paralyzed man gets up and walks out simply because Jesus spoke. You get that? Jesus didn't even put his hands on him, he didn't, he didn't touch him. And say, I'm going to touch you and now I'm going to heal you. No, Jesus says, get up and walk. Because the same voice that said, get up and walk, is the same voice that said, let there be light. Right? And so Jesus, simply by the word of his mouth, says, get up and walk. Take your stuff and go. And everyone around in the building, they're amazed. They can't comprehend. They, can't, they are beside themselves. That this has happened, that this Jesus has done this. See, this event doesn't just change the man, it changes the witnesses. They're filled with wonder and they, they glorify God. And so here's the question, are we amazed by the grace of Jesus as much as these people were amazed by the grace of Jesus? When was the last time you were arrested by how wonderful and how amazing Jesus is? 
When was the last time that we were beside ourselves because of what Jesus has done? When was the last time that we just had to stop and just think and just consider that, that this God is great? He's greatly to be praised. We get distracted by all of these other things. I think there's a reason that we don't get as amazed as these people did. I think one of the reasons is, is because we don't really think that our, our situation is that bad. We don't think our sins are that great. If we really understood the, the gravity of our sin, then we would understand just how amazing God's grace is. And then we would fully comprehend just how wonderful His amazing grace is. The other reason that we're not amazed the way these people were is because we, we give our amazement to lesser things. We're amazed by iPhones and computers and movies and whatever it else may be. When we were designed, we were created to be amazed by something far, far greater. We have settled for being amazed by the superficial when God has called us to be amazed by the supernatural. And if you have trusted Christ, if you're walking with him, if you are hidden in him, if you're trusting him for everything, then you are a walking miracle, a walking testimony to his grace. Because what the Bible says is that you were dead, that I was dead. Not, not that we were kind of dead, not that we were sick, not that we were almost dead. Ephesians 2 says, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But, but God, right? But God. He has saved us. He's redeemed us. See, Jesus' authority is good news for us, not just because we can bring our hopes and our prayers and our desires for healing to him, but ultimately Jesus' authority is good news for us because we can come to him and we can find forgiveness. We can find grace. We can find help. He can heal our bodies, but more amazing than that, he can forgive our sins and heal our souls. And maybe you've never experienced this power, this, uh, this taste of the forgiveness that only Jesus can give. And man, what a great day to taste and see that God is good. Amen. What a great day to come and to see and to leave knowing that Jesus's authority is good news for you. Here's the truth. Your authority is bad news for yourself because it leads you to hell. But Jesus's authority is good news for you because it takes you to heaven, right? In Jesus Christ, you can find forgiveness and redemption, and grace, and mercy. In Jesus Christ, you can find joy. That's what he came to do. He came to give joy. The fruits of the Spirit are, among other things, joy. And so maybe this morning you'd say, Ethan, I need joy, man. I need, I need some of that. I need that Jesus. Man, you've come to the right place. All you have to do is trust him. Lay your life down and make him your treasure to trust and to believe that this Jesus, that he lived a perfect life that you should have lived but couldn't. He died a death in your place and three days later, he rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, he defeated sin. You put your faith and your hope and your trust in that, that, that Jesus has defeated sin so that you don't have to try to work to defeat sin. And that's where grace is. That's where joy is found, so that it's no longer you working for heaven, but it's Jesus bringing heaven to you. It's no longer you working for grace, but it's Jesus bringing grace to you. Now, as we read this passage, as we look at this passage, one thing that we've got, we've got to understand, we've got to appreciate, 
is there was nothing that was going to stop those friends from getting that paralyzed man to Jesus. Now, the hero of the story, it's not those friends. The hero of the story is Jesus because Jesus did the work, right? Jesus forgave the sins. Jesus healed the man. But that man, his sins were forgiven. His paralysis was healed because God in his wisdom chose to use the friends to bring the man to Jesus. He still works that way today. God in his wisdom and his grace is still using his people to bring others to him. He's using us to bring lost people to Jesus. Robbie Gallaty, he says this. He says, the gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. And so as you walked in, you, you walked past uh, that table out there and on it, you, hopefully you saw these little cards that say, who's your one? And what we want to do is we want to, I'm challenging myself, challenge you. And maybe you, you've been here and we've done this before, but who's the one person not the 10 people, not the 15 people, not the 20 people. Who's the one person that you can be praying for? That you can be praying that the Lord would give you an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Who's the one person that you can be praying that the Lord would give you the opportunity to invite them to sit with you on Easter Sunday in this room? Who's the one person that you can begin showing and sharing the love of Jesus with? Not the 80, not the 20, not the 10, not the five, but the one. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. As you leave today, as you walk past that table, we've got several, uh, several places you can stop, grab one of these, and just put the first name on here, right? You, you don't have to put Ethan Crowder on here, right? You don't have to put Joe Smith or whatever it may be. You can just put mom or dad, or sister, or brother. You can just put the first name. Because really, this, this isn't about other people seeing it. Really, what this is, is this is just a reminder to yourself. And, and as, you, as you fill this out, what we want to do is, there's little paper clips. I want you to clip it to that cage that's out there. And what we're going to do is that's going to be a prayer wall. And so through the week, as we walk by there, as we're here, maybe you're here through the week as you walk by there, maybe you stop and you pray for one name on there. Or maybe you pray for a couple names on there. Or maybe you just find the name that you put on there and you just pray, God, save him. God, save her. Because here's what we know. Jesus has the authority to do it. He has the authority to save. He has the authority to deliver. And you know what the great thing about Jesus is? It's not just that he can do it, but he will do it. Right? It's not just that he can do it, but he does do it. So I want you to grab one of these and, and put that name on there, put whatever that title, whatever it may be, clip it to that. And then at the, the hub, at the, the desk right back, you'll see our 21 day prayer guide. And what I want you to do is I want you to write that name in that prayer guide. So that every day, as, you're, as we're reading the Bible together, as we're praying for the same things together, you're praying for him. You're praying for her. You're praying for that son or that daughter or that sister or that brother or that aunt or that uncle or that mom or that dad. So that we can be praying together, but then you can also be praying individually. You know, you might be here today because you were somebody's one. You might be here today 
because someone invited you to be here today. But here's what we know. Everyone in here is here today because someone invited them first. If you're like me, my invitation was get in the car, we're going to church. <laughs> uh, but maybe some of you were invited, hey, come to church with me. Man, we're so glad you're here. But don't leave this room without doing business with Jesus. Don't, don't leave this room without experiencing the good news that Jesus can save. Without experiencing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, gospel means good news. Don't leave without experiencing the good news of the good news. That's why Jesus has come. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy this morning. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy that we have in Jesus. Lord, I pray that this morning that you would work in hearts and lives in ways that only you can do. God, I pray that, that we wouldn't leave this room without, without trusting, placing our hope and our faith in what Jesus did on the cross and in the tomb that is empty. But Father, I pray also that we would be motivated, we would be driven as a church, as individuals, as brothers and sisters, God, that we would be driven to be like the friends who brought the man to you. God, I pray that, that you would give us the opportunity, that you would give us the confidence, you would give us the boldness to be like those men that we would bring our friends, we would bring our family members, we would bring our coworkers to you and we would let you work. God, we're grateful that you haven't called us to save anyone, but you've told us that you've got the power to do it. And so Father, I pray this morning that we would trust in your power. We would trust in your grace. God, I, I pray that, that we would see ones come to faith in you. That we would see these names, these cards that don't just represent cards, but represent souls. God, that we would see these people be saved and discipled. God, I'm praying that on these cards is the name of the next Billy Graham. God, that on these cards is the name of the next Apostle Paul. That, that on these cards is the name of the, the next missionary. God, that, that through our prayers, through our invitations, that you are going to impact eternity. And so God, we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Central Church Podcast. For more information on how you can take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.